Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. And now I will invite the next speaker, um, Mr. Nicholas Shikersky, who uh, was working for the Hoover Institute and is also a PhD candidate with the Polish Academy of Sciences in Warsaw, Poland, who is going to talk about the fabulous mission of Herbert Hoover uh, to Poland 100 years ago. Thank you. So the biography of Herbert Hoover is something that's the subject of, of many lectures. It's not possible to cover in, in uh, just 40 minutes. But I wanted to focus on the Polish aspect of his work. And I think I'll start with an anecdote going back even further uh, to when he started his humanitarian work in Poland. When World War I broke out, he was based in London. He was a wealthy mining engineer. He had been very successful for the past 20 years since he had graduated from Stanford University. The war broke out and the big problem arose of tens of thousands of Americans being stranded in Europe. The companies that were uh, running the ships back to the U.S. weren't accepting American currency. Neither were hotels. They weren't taking their checks. So the American ambassador in London called upon Hoover knowing that he was a great organizer, very um, hardworking, and Hoover got some of his friends together and they, uh, they set up in the ballroom of the Savoy Hotel in London and they set up tables and they began handing out British pounds. They began arranging for people to stay in hotels and to get tickets onto ships. And uh, actually about 120,000 were ultimately uh, helped in this way. Hoover had to deal with all kinds of problems. This was something he, he became a master at. One little anecdote is that an elderly woman, uh, she got a ticket to go back to the U.S., but she demanded that Hoover sign a guarantee that the German submarine would not sink her ship. And Hoover agreed, he signed the guarantee, and later he commented that if she survived, that she would be grateful. And if she was sent to the bottom, there would be no one left to complain. <laughs> In the period following the First World War, the name Herbert Hoover was known by most Europeans in virtually every poll. During the war, Hoover had successfully aided needy civilians through his organization of the Commission for Relief in Belgium, which provided critical food aid while the country was under British naval blockade and German occupation. Hoover had tried to provide similar aid to Poland as early as 1915, but was thwarted by both the British and Germans at the negotiating table. Hoover never forgot Poland, though, and the desperate conditions there, described to him by a trusted friend and collaborator, Dr. Vernon Kellogg. Hoover's contact with Poland extended back even further than the war, all the way back to his time as an undergraduate at Stanford University in <coughs> California. In 1892, he arranged to host a concert by Ignacy Jan Paderewski, who was touring the United States at the time to great acclaim. To Hoover's chagrin, Stanford announced a school holiday on short notice, which fell on the day of the concert. Hoover was thus unable to sell enough tickets to cover the sum promised to Paderewski. A despondent Hoover 
met with the great pianist and apologized for this inability to provide the money and promised to work to recoup the costs. A generous Paderewski told Hoover to keep what he had collected and to repay him sometime in the future. Hoover would never forget the gesture, and one can say that Hoover repaid the debt many times over, not only in the immediate aftermath of the war, but as a sympathetic and powerful voice in the Wilson administration when Poland was vying for her independence. In late 1918, Hoover, by then the U.S. Food Administrator, sent the American Food Mission to Poland to assess the conditions in the country and determine what humanitarian relief that America could provide. The mission's work coincided with one of the most dramatic periods in Polish history when the fledgling nation was just beginning to establish its government, settle its border conflicts with the Germans, Czechs, Lithuanians, Ukrainians, and Bolsheviks, and revive and unite a society and economy devastated by four years of war and more than a century of foreign partitions. And I believe there's a um, photograph to show. So if we could uh, have some technical assistance, I, I will show that. Late in the evening of August 12th, 1919, Herbert Hoover's train from Switzerland arrived in Warsaw. As Hoover recalled, in order to be as impressive as possible, I was accompanied by several generals and admirals. There it is. He was greeted by the highest representatives of Poland, Prime Minister Paderewski, Chief of State Józef Piłsudski, ministers, officials, officers, foreign dignitaries, and military bands continuously playing the Polish and American national anthems. And I emphasize continuously, they just kept playing and playing and playing. The mayor of Warsaw presented Hoover with bread and salt in a traditional welcome a huge round loaf topped with a large salt crystal on a heavy carved wooden platter. While holding his hat in his right hand, Hoover received the platter with his left, and his wrist quickly began to wobble from the weight. He managed to pass it on to the admiral, who passed it on to the general, watching it go all down the line to the last doughboy. The Poles applauded this maneuver as a characteristic and appropriate American ceremony who would only be the first in many such acts of Polish hospitality. Here we have uh, Hoover with Paderewski and his, uh, Paderewski's wife, Helena Paderewska, in her Polish White Cross uniform. A reception fit for a hero was certainly warranted. For nearly eight months prior to the visit, the American Relief Administration, or ARA, directed by Hoover, had been shipping hundreds of thousands of tons of food into Poland to be distributed through a network of thousands of kitchens and charitable institutions run by Polish volunteers and overseen by several dozen Americans. The ravages of hunger resulting from the devastation and plunder of the First World War touched millions of Poles, many of them vulnerable children, especially in the eastern borderlands. Thanks to this American intervention, millions were spared from hunger and the effects of malnutrition, and thousands from actual starvation. The Americans believed the food was indispensable to strengthen the Poles against the specter of revolution from the East and preserve their freedom. As Helena Paderewska wrote in her memoirs, he and the devoted young men who worked for him have done more in one year to make the name of America loved and understood than diplomats and wars could do in a century. She would also call him 
a miracle maker. The relief program was not limited to Poland, but encompassed the Baltics, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, the Balkans, part of Turkey, and even famine-ravaged Russia starting in 1921. Hoover's superb capacity for leadership and administration earned him a devoted following of friends and supporters that would eventually help to propel him to the presidency of the United States. Acting as President Woodrow Wilson's personal representative, a whirlwind week followed Hoover's arrival with travel from city to city, meeting with delegations, banquets, and ceremonies. As Hoover later wrote, one of the most important stops was a speech at the Wawel Castle in Kraków, near the tomb of Tadeusz Kościuszko, who was not only a Polish national hero, but a hero of the American Revolution. Hoover was to speak first, then he was to be followed by a translation by Paderewski. Hoover's speech only lasted 10 minutes, since just a fraction of the 30,000 people attending could understand English. Once 45 minutes had passed into Paderewski's translation, <laughs> Hoover turned to his Polish aide and asked what he was saying. He responded, oh, he is making a real speech. <laughs> and here we have Hoover at an outdoor mass. Next to him is Achille Ratti, the papal nuncio, who would go on to become Pius XI, and then Piłsudski and Paderewski standing there behind him. Though Hoover was a man of few words, even shy at times, and no world-class orator like Paderewski, he could shine at the appropriate moment. A dinner in his honor in the apartments of the Royal Palace in Warsaw, attended by the elite of Polish society, featured only two speeches, Paderewski's greeting and Hoover's reply. As Helena Paderewska remembered it, the latter made a very deep impression, especially on the Americans who were there, many of whom had never met him before. As one of them said later, it was so different from what they had expected, for in it Hoover had shown a strain of poetry, a real fancy, a gift of real eloquence, which was most unusual. Though I haven't found any record of the speech, it almost certainly touched on the life-saving work being done by the ARA and the critical relationship between nourishing the youngest generation and defending Poland's hard-won independence that was then only nine months old. He would not have failed to mention the new bonds of friendship and respect being woven between Americans and Poles. Though the lion's share of the relief program for Poland consisted of credits for the bulk purchase of food, the special need for children's relief was readily apparent and a separate charitable program was established with food to be distributed without regard for nationality, class, or religion. For this reason, grateful children figured prominently in Hoover's visit. As the first US minister to Poland, Hugh Gibson, humorously recalled in a letter to his mother. There were motor lorries filled with children outside and the staircases in Warsaw's Hotel Bristol were lined with more midgets who strew flowers in Hoover's path. They might just as well have been strewing banana peels for he nearly broke his neck two or three times. It sounds poetic, but when I have to go up or down a marble staircase without a handrail to hold onto, I'm ready to omit the flowers. This was only to be a prelude to the main display of thanks and affection for Hoover and the Americans. <coughs> On the afternoon of August 14th, Hoover and his party were taken to the Warsaw horse racing track at the Mokotu Field. As many as 50,000 children gathered from all over Poland in a grand parade of gratitude lasting from the early afternoon into the evening, the scene unfolded before Hugh Gibson's eyes. The field before the grandstand was packed with people. 
mostly small children, and the cheers they let out almost took the roof off. The place was filled with bands, all playing, and the march past began at once. The youngsters varied from eight to twelve years, and most of them marched like veterans, and the way they yelled at the sight of Hoover for two solid hours, and the poor man was pretty red-eyed most of the time. An average of once a minute a youngster or group of youngsters was brought up to hand Hoover a bouquet, or set a piece of flowers until the tribune all around him was banked high with them. I think most people there grasped the significance of the occasion. If it had not been for what Hoover had done, there would have been mighty few of those children alive. Even the youngsters themselves seemed to realize it. Almost any field marshal can go and review that many troops whenever he feels like it, but it doesn't mean anything in particular, and no matter what he had accomplished in a way of military successes, I don't believe the soldier could get the same satisfaction. Gibson was not the only one to share the sentiment. Before departing, the head of the French military mission of Poland, General Henri, with tears running down his cheeks, turned to Hoover and said, there has never been a review of honor in all history which I would prefer for myself to that which has been given to you today. Obviously moved by this amazing experience, particularly the sight of thousands of barefooted children Within several months, in time for Polish winter, nearly half a million pairs of shoes, warm stockings, and overcoats were on their way to Poland in ARA ships. Here we have a uh, picture of Hoover, Paderewski, Gibson, Piłsudski in front of the Belvedere Palace in Warsaw. And then here's a fragment from the, uh, the parade. You can see how many of the kids they don't have shoes on, although I think it was pretty typical in, in those summer days, and then with the American flags. While Hoover was the public face of American benevolence, he was not the only one worthy of praise. An entire cast of able men, not to mention women, such as the Polish-American volunteers, the Gray Samaritans, played a critical role in the relief enterprise. Certainly worthy of recognition and praise in their own right, but mentioned in brief here, Colonel William R. Grove, Congressional Medal of Honor recipient and head of the American Mission to Poland in its first phase. Lieutenant Maurice Pate, veteran of the Commission for Relief in Belgium and an outstanding leader of the Children's Relief Program in Poland, also the subject of a lecture by Professor Horakiewicz two months ago. William Palmer Fuller, head of the ARA in Poland, in its second phase, when relief to children reached its peak of over one million meals per day and during the critical months of the Polish-Soviet War, when food stocks were evacuated from eastern warehouses. And Colonel Harry L. Gilchrist, head of the U.S. Army's anti-typhus mission to Poland. Uh, I actually was on eBay, uh, since the ARA is, is my area, I periodically searched to see what might pop up, and I found that someone was selling uh, Colonel Gilchrist's papers. The story that I got was that uh, some, he didn't have children, so somehow his papers ended up being sold, and this fellow had bought them from a, a, a militaria shop in Los Angeles at some point and was selling them. Uh, he didn't really know any better, and then I, I contacted him, and I was able to arrange so that the Hoover Institution would purchase the papers. So luckily what, what was left, which was still significant, uh, was, was sent to the Hoover Institution, including a letter of thanks from Piłsudski, signed by Piłsudski, for which he was asking something like $30,000. I don't know if he, he would have gotten a, a sum like that, but luckily it ended up at Hoover. 
Exactly a year after Hoover's visit, Polish soldiers defeated the Red Army at the gates of Warsaw in the miracle on the Vistula, coinciding with the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. A, signif a significant role was played by the American pilots of the Kosciuszko Squadron, who volunteered to fight against the Bolsheviks and were especially effective against Budionny's 1st Cavalry Armia, Army, the Konarmia. The squadron's founder, Marion C. Cooper, a man whose astounding story could not possibly be done justice in a few lines, had earlier led ARA operations in Lvov, which he had flown into while it was under siege by Ukrainian forces in 1919. He was later decorated with Poland's War Order of Virtuti Militari. While it was impossible to measure its impact, the massive volume of food and economic aid provided by America to Poland in the preceding 18 months surely factored into the victory as well. Here we have a picture of the Great Samaritans. These were young Polish-American women who volunteered to go to Poland starting in late 1919, and they were actually part of the uh, adventure, you could call it, of the, uh, the Polish-Bolshevik War when the Bolsheviks started to invade Poland and they had to very quickly withdraw thousands and thousands of tons of food from warehouses that were in the eastern regions of Poland. And uh, finally, they were evacu evacuated from the country um, in the final weeks before the, the culmination at the, uh, the Battle of Warsaw. Hoover's interest in Poland didn't end with the ARA operations in the early 1920s. He took significant actions to aid Poland in 1939 at the outbreak of World War II. Following a request from the Polish government in exile, Hoover established the Commission for Polish Relief, CRP, and served as its honorary chairman. The organization was led again by Maurice Pate and Chauncey McCormick, another associate of Hoover's. The CRP would cooperate with the American Red Cross, then led by Norman Davis, and the Paderewski Testimonial Fund, the last great act by the Polish statesman before his passing in 1941 to raise money for aid to Poland. The Commission for Polish Relief faced far greater challenges than those seen in Poland in 1919. The brutality of the Nazi occupation and the adamant opposition of the British to importing relief supplies that could be confiscated by the Germans severely hampered the organization's efforts. Despite these hurdles, about $6 million was raised, over half from the Polish government and American Polonia, which helped provide approximately 200,000 meals per day to undernourished women, children, and elderly Poles by early 1940. About 50,000 Polish refugees in France were also fed and provided with clothing. The connection between Herbert Hoover and Poland persists to this day through the Hoover Institution on War, Revolution, and Peace at Stanford in California, uh, at Stanford University, which is celebrating the centenary of its founding in 1919. Actually, when Hoover was beginning his relief operations, he also had the idea to maintain an archive of uh, World War I. He wanted to uh, record it for posterity to gather as much documentation as he could. He was in a unique position uh, to collect a lot of materials. There are anecdotal stories about being at the peace conference where different delegations would slip materials and pamphlets and things under his hotel room door that he uh, used it as the, uh, the genesis for the collection. The largest uh, addition to the Polish holdings 
I'm sorry, the library and archives of the institution are home to the largest collection of historical documentation on modern Poland outside of its borders. These holdings began with the acquisition of informational materials from the Polish government delegation at the Paris Peace Conference. The largest addition to the Polish holdings came when the bulk of the records of the Polish government in exile were sent from London to Stanford. The transfer, arranged by Jan Czechanowski, the famed courier, I'm sorry, the Polish ambassador in Washington, D.C., was facilitated by Jan Karski, the famed courier for the Polish underground state, who worked as an acquisitions agent for Hoover immediately after the war and himself received American food as a child. Actually, my last visit to Washington 20 years ago was uh, with my father, and we visited with Jan Karski a, few, a year or two before he passed away. The Polish government documents, more than one million pages, were microfilmed and given to Poland in the 1990s after it regained independence. The documents have since been digitized and are available online through the National Digital Archives of Poland. It's worth mentioning that the heretofore unknown memoir of Helena Paderewska, discovered in the collections of the institution, was published several years ago. My father, Dr. Maciej Szykierski, the curator of the European collections at Hoover for over 30 years, edited the memoir. It was published in the original English and in Polish. Herbert Hoover's support for Poland was made manifest in both word and deed. Beyond the tremendous humanitarian endeavors that benefited Poland, Hoover dedicated much of what he wrote to the country. The book Freedom Betrayed, Herbert Hoover's Secret History of the Second World War and its Aftermath, published in 2011, was considered by Hoover to be his magnum opus and presents his case for how the Allies betrayed their self-stated principles and sacrificed millions of people to communist tyranny. Besides referring to the tragic fate of Poland throughout, including the efforts of the Roosevelt administration to ignore the Katyn massacre, he dedicated an 80-page case study to Poland entitled A Step-by-Step -Step History of Poland, which describes the betrayal of Poland culminating in its communist takeover at the end of World War II. Freedom Betrayed was a project that he worked on for 20 years, basically until the very end of his life, and he did not want to publish it when he was still living because it was highly controversial, it was very critical, especially of the Roosevelt administration. And since he had been basically savaged uh, as president and in the years following uh, the Great Depression and, and other things, but I think tying back into the previous talk about disinformation, even when Hoover was providing food aid to Russia in the early 20s, there were all kinds of stories about how this was a secret American plot to uh, undermine the Bolsheviks. Um, I run a, a blog and someone even recently commented that, you know, the ARA was just a way for the Americans to funnel millions of dollars into undermining the Bolshevik regime. You know, I haven't discovered any documents to, to support that, but it's interesting that those types of things come out. So finally, the, the book was published just uh, eight years ago. Hoover visited Poland for the final time in 1946 witnessing the devastation wrought on its capital, which had barely begun to rebuild after the Warsaw Uprising and the systematic leveling of the city by the Germans. Despite the apocalyptic landscape before his eyes and the knowledge that Poland was entering a new phase of subjugation, he never lost hope that the fierce will and determination of the Polish people would triumph and that, quote, Poland would rise again. Few Poles know of the historic actions 
and heroic actions undertaken by Hoover on Poland's behalf. 100 years on, the remembrances of Herbert Hoover and the other honorable Americans in Poland leave much to be desired, especially when it can be argued quite convincingly that the Polish people have never had a better American or any other foreign friend and champion than Herbert Hoover. Regrettably, the Pomnik Wdzięczności Ameryce, the Monument of Gratitude to America, erected in 1922, no longer stands on the Herbert Clark Hoover Square in Warsaw. It was taken down in the 1930s when it began to crumble. All that remains is a small stone tablet that references Hoover's relief work. When Hoover Square was redeveloped a decade ago, the idea of replacing it was apparently dismissed and the current city council is unable or unwilling to find a suitable place of honor for it in central Warsaw. After more than 25 years of independence, it's high time to revive the memory of Herbert Hoover and the other Americans who came to Poland, Poland's aid in her times of need with a permanent monument. The site of the recently dismantled Soviet statue in Skadyszewski Park, already home to a statue of Colonel Edward M. House, Poland's providential man and close advisor to President Wilson, and adjacent to the George Washington Roundabout, is a respectable option, though Hoover Square or its vicinity would be ideal. This history should be in the curriculum of every school-aged child in Poland. Its memory is part of their national inheritance. At a moment in history when Poland has a good friend, President Trump in the White House, just a few blocks away, it is worth remembering this shining chapter in U.S.-Polish relations and recognize it as a touchstone for highlighting the great cooperation between our nations in the past and the breadth of possibilities for the years to come. For a nation as steeped in the past and its associated commemorations, remembrances, symbols, and monuments, the absence of a worthy tribute to our most important ally is a glaring oversight. And I'm speaking here as, as a poll. It need not be a carbon copy monument in the exact location, but the status quo is unacceptable. It is our honor to be the heirs to these events, and always remembering them is a noble use of the freedom both our nations so cherish. Here we have, uh, I mentioned the Great Samaritans. This is what the uh, Monument of Gratitude to America looked like. That's approximately the location on Hoover Square. The History Meeting House in Warsaw did a very good exhibit a few years ago where they did these colorful panels, and it was about the history of this uh, relief although the focus was on the symbols of gratitude from the Polish side in uh, the mid-1920s, about one-fifth of the entire Polish population signed these uh, books, memorial books, thanking Hoover for his relief efforts. Uh, and they digitized all of this recently, and you can search online to find your ancestors. I found both of my grandfathers had signed the books when they were schoolboys. So they did this nice, nice exhibit. Here you have... Hoover Square, though this sign is there in the background. Unfortunately, there's another statue, one of the oldest uh, statues in Warsaw, of the Virgin Mary a few feet away, and then you have the Adam Miskevich statue on the other side. So from what I've heard, the, um, the person in charge of, of monuments says that, well, there's already enough statues in, in that area. Of course, the, the real problem is that they redeveloped this site, they have a basement, they have a bar, there, so it's become kind of a commercial uh, enterprise, but hopefully this can be rebuilt. And that's the one um, uh, indication that this, uh, why the Hoover Square is there. This was part of the Royal Castle, a fragment 
that was reused. And back in the early 1990s, my dad helped to arrange for that tablet to be put there. Hopefully it'll be replaced by something more substantial in time. And then I mentioned Freedom Betrayed, uh, Hoover's book. Um, it's, it's really a, a, a great piece of history from someone who was there and was behind the scenes. Of course, he wasn't in power at the time, but it is really a great counterpoint to, to a lot of the history um, that I learned uh, when I was younger. So I'm, I'm glad it finally came out. I wish it would have come out sooner. I think it, as uh, we were talking about disinformation before, once a narrative, a story gets going and it's been going for years and years, it's very hard to reverse it. Uh, but that's one, one thing that's been, uh, been put out there. Here we have a close-up of Hoover with Paderewski and Piłsudski. Gibson. And Gibson on the edge there. And the last thing I wanted to do was show you a little video. So this is a fragment from the, uh, there's no audio, from the film Master of Emergencies, which was put out in the early 20s to highlight all of the relief that was going on. I believe this is Vienna, um, and it goes through country by country, but there's a little fragment on Poland that I wanted to show you. Thanks to the USA. Thanks to USA, all the kids. From what I've read, there was actually a whole American Relief Administration as well as Red Cross film division. So they were recording all kinds of things uh, here we have Hoover. You'll see him in a moment with Paderewski and Paderewska. So there was a large amount of film, but unfortunately, from what I've learned, back in the 50s, this film was largely destroyed because they weren't, they didn't have the technology to digitize it or to, to do anything else with it. And I think there was just so much of it, it was a fire hazard, basically, so they got rid of it. But this is a fragment that's in that film. You can watch the whole thing on, on YouTube. And here you have the parade that I described earlier. Hoover actually couldn't stay for the whole thing. He was uh, rushing to his next engagement, so, but it lasted for two or three hours, and the kids just kept coming and coming and coming. And finally, he, he and Paderewski waded through, uh, through these masses of, of children to get to their, their cars and then onto the train. And then here you have the kids with the, the flags. They celebrated the 4th of July on, uh, uh, in 1922, and that's when they unveiled that, that monument of gratitude to America. They even captured a rabbit while they, this parade was going on and presented it triumphantly <laughs> to Hoover. Unfortunately for Hoover, he... Uh, was prominent in a time before the mass media was really built up as much as it was later. And so he didn't have the same ability to get, get through to everyone as, as Roosevelt and people later did. He was also quite a humble guy, so he wasn't someone that was constantly out there trying to get attention for himself. But given the fact that we have a statue of Kosciuszko here on Lafayette Square, right in front of the White House, I think a statue of Hoover uh, nearby the presidential palace in Warsaw would be a fine thing for, uh, for American presidents and other dignitaries to, to come pay their respects to uh, in the future. Thank you very much for your attention.
questions. Well, we can I, take two questions will, from the before audience. questions, I know comments. Okay. And then we can have questions. Uh, as always. Our show. Uh, well, thank you very much. Thank you. It was fabulous. Thanks for the movie. Uh, Richard Pipes said more or less that Professor Richard Pipes said there have hardly been, been any American presidents so vilified as Herbert Hoover and nobody, not a single American president saved millions of lives. Hoover was fabulous and his crew was fabulous. They all deserve monuments all over Europe, not just in Poland. Maurice Pate, whom you've mentioned, <clears throat> became uh, the first executive director of UNICEF after World War uh, II. Hoover assigned him to feed Polish children. That was his first job in Poland. Earlier he had volunteered in Belgium and afterwards when Belgium fell and America joined the war, Pate fought as a, as a, uh, uh, as a second lieutenant, I think. Uh, you've mentioned Grey Samaritans, not to be confused with the Polish White Cross. No, Poland couldn't have Poland couldn't have an organization called Red Cross because, according to international law, Poland didn't exist. So Madame Paderewski set up something called uh, the Polish White Cross. The Grey Samaritans was a separate organization. I'll read a little thing about them. They were, um, uh, uh, they were organized and founded by Princess Laura de Gozdawa Turchinovich. Her maiden name was Blackwell. It, this isn't quite unusual. For instance, the Princess Cantacuzin, who did fabulous, fabulous work, and uh, we were very well acquainted with the Cantacuzin family from South Africa and later from the United States, uh, did similar work in Russia. She was the granddaughter of President Grant. So there were very many uh, co aristocratic connections with the Americans, not just downtown Abbey, you know. Um, the boss of great Samaritans in, in Poland was Amy Tapping. 1882, she died sometime after 1864. 1964, yes. <clears throat> That's correct. A, an, uh, an officer of American Relief Administration wrote about the Grey Samaritans as follows. They were a group of some 30 girls, Americans of Polish origin, who came over as auxiliary helpers in the Hoover Child feeding and other relief operations in Poland. A certain number of Polish-American girls were assigned to each one of the ARA men in the field. They deserve a monument too. No one knows about them, really. There is hardly anything written about them. Uh, why? Well, Poland was first under Nazi and then Soviet occupation. That means important things like Herbert Hoover were totally neglected. Uh, anyway. Now, questions. <laughs>
Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for this very enriching presentation. Thank you. Um, this was after the war, the Second World War, and so and some of these children look very after the young. First World War. Oh, after the First yeah, World yeah. War. Um, some of these children look very young. I am wondering, uh, were these school children or were these orphans? What proportions of them might have been orphans? They, I can't tell you the exact numbers, but they were school children. Uh, I think the cutoff was age 14, and then they moved it to 15 or 16. There were two programs, as I mentioned. There was a large food program that was uh, based on credits to Poland, which ultimately, because of the Depression and other factors, they didn't pay all of it off, so it essentially was a gift. And then the rest was charitable. Uh, so I, I can't tell you the exact proportions, but there certainly were... Uh, tens of thousands of, of orphans that were assisted by by the program. There were, as I mentioned, there were kitchens throughout the country. They were associated either with schools or they were set up independently in places that had just been ravaged where there wasn't a central place where they could set up the kitchen. It would be improvised. In more remote places, they had trucks that would come and they would distribute uh, packages. In Warsaw, of course, you'd have a larger number of children, so you had these big, big kitchens. Uh, the relief was not just for uh, for school-aged children, but for infants and nursing mothers. So they would have milk stations where the mother would come and she would get milk, or the family member would come and they would take the milk back home. But certainly many, many, many orphans, yeah. Uh, thank you. I, I did mean yeah. the First World War, but I misspoke, so yeah. thank you. Oh, sure. <laughs> yes, in the back? What's the reference the of YouTube? What's the name of the YouTube? Uh, for the whole video, it's Master of Emergencies at the very bottom there. So Master of Emergencies. And I believe the Hoover Presidential Library is the one that posted it. And sir, here you had a question. Same question I had. Okay. All right. And Thank you. Are there any more questions? We can take one more question. Um, yes. Um, I wanted to ask, the, how does this um, work together with... Uh, what the Library of Congress has uh, digitized the thank yous uh, that were sent to the U.S. Does this have any relation to this? Yes, they, it was digitized, and then the polls used it for the, um, they made the exhibit, they made a sort of uh, television program, different things like that. So I can't quite remember whether it was the Library of Congress did the digitizing or whether the polls did it through some kind of joint um, program. Well, I'm about the, the Library of Congress has the books, the original books, uh -huh. and then they were digitized. Polish Embassy at the Polish Library in Washington. Has the digitized they, copies? They did, the, they did the project. Okay, they did the project. So the Polish Library in Washington did the, the digitizing. Yeah, okay. One more question? One more, yes. Uh, yeah, the relief that was provided for Hoover is quite a substantial amount of relief. Uh, yeah. I wondered, the, the time frame is similar to the occupation of various parts of Russia by uh, Western nations, including our own country here in the United States. Um, the Russians complained or something about, as you indicated in your speech, that there was uh, some sort of infiltration plan uh, with the food relief. Uh, is political at all, or is it basically just food relief and assistance to those who suffered in the war and uh, post-war? The, the reasoning uh, for Hoover was that the people couldn't resist tyranny if they were hungry. Uh, I don't think it panned out the way he, he wanted to, but as much as possible they tried to make the relief independent of political considerations so that the Bolsheviks couldn't use it for political purposes. I think they were largely 
effective. And I'm sure there was some element of wanting to find out more information about what was going on in Russia, but I haven't come across anything to, to suggest that it was, uh, that there was more than collecting some information on the side alongside the main program of relief. Russia was suffering a huge famine. It was ter uh, terrible conditions were in Poland, but it was much worse in Russia once the famine started. Millions of people were, were dying. And then thanks to the ARA, I think probably millions more were saved. But I, I don't see any evidence for it being a operation to try to undermine the Bolsheviks. I'd love to find some documents if that was the case, but no, I haven't found anything. Thank you.